part of a, of a great church. Um, in just a minute, I want to uh, transition a little bit. We're in our, our series, Jesus, His Story. And um, I want to just kind of have you think about something. What was real big in the 90s that if you possessed it, that it was something that um, was, was there to ward off evil spirits and always guarantee that you'll always make the right decisions and you'll be holier than anything else? Do you remember what that was? Uh, let me show you a little, little, little clue here. You remember that thing? The WWJD bracelet. Who had one of those? Okay, about nine of you. Good. Okay. So, you know, I had one of those too. And, and it was kind of interesting but because the, the people that I saw that mostly wore those were people that, that never went to church. And I was always asking them, you know, hey, what is that? Well, you know, it kind of helps me. When I make decisions, I always ask myself, what would Jesus do? Well, it's really interesting because um, the, the premise behind that bracelet, what would Jesus do, uh, basically says that if you're ever in a conundrum for life or in a life decision, a crossroads, you could just ask yourself, what would Jesus do right now in this situation? And all of a sudden, woo, there would be the answer and you know exactly what to do. But you see, it was always a hypothetical question. What would he do? What would he do? And depending upon your mood and your desire of the outcome and what you thought it should be, believe it or not, you could actually influence that decision. So, so the fact that it was hypothetical also kind of made it um, uh, irresponsible in the sense that you didn't have to take responsibility for the decisions that you make and you could actually deny that it was your decision, but that it was something Jesus told you to do. So in this series, we've been talking a little bit more about who is Jesus, and that was the, the question I asked last week, who is Jesus? And we really got into the, to the grains of, of who Jesus is, that he is God, that he is a part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, that, that he is the living, breathing God and came in flesh. And we talked a lot about the importance of that. And so today we're gonna talk about not what would Jesus do, but we're gonna talk about what did Jesus do? So there's a big difference there. So my hope is, is that we look at the life of Jesus, that we can see, you know, who he was and, and, and how he interacted with things and, and the importance of, of where that will lead us. So let's begin in John chapter one, verse 14. Um, listen to what John writes. This is his prologue. He says, the word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus. We talked about that last week. And he made his dwelling place among us. So he, is, he, is, he lived with us. He, uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and what? Truth. So Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. And that's the important part that, that we have to look at is, is that Jesus was able to balance both grace and truth to its fullest. Now, <clears throat> as a human being, I want to be gracious. Um, as a human being, I always want to be truthful. Now, I do not live my life that, that I try to live it to where I'm always telling lies. I don't do that. But I make mistakes just like you do. And, and kind of where I get in trouble is when I'm asked questions that, that I think the answer of telling the truth is a setup. Like, do I look bad in these pants? I mean, okay. So <clears throat> I want to be a truth teller, but I struggle with that. And maybe you do too. And grace, I mean, I always want to be gracious. I, I want to treat people the way that I want to be treated. And when I make a mistake, you can ask my wife. Um, I, I own it. And, and I, I know that I'm not there yet. I want to grow through that. Um, you know, uh, when we have spirited conversations and, and I own my own stuff and I try to, you know, how can I grow through that? And I want to be gracious and I want to live a life of grace. Jesus did all of those things. The challenge that I have is, is, is if I'm going to be too 
truthful, then sometimes, I don't know about you, but with me, if I can be too truthful, I can end up looking like a jerk because the truth does hurt. Like that question we laughed at, you know, do these pants make me look fat? You know, well, the truth would be, yeah, don't wear them, you know. Uh, or if I'm having a close conversation with somebody and they're like, you know, really close and we're talking and I'm kind of like, Dude, your breath stank, you know? I mean, you, you're telling the truth. It's not, a, it's not a fun thing. But gracious, if I'm going to be overly gracious, then all of a sudden I can be seen as a pushover because, well, it won't make a decision or, or can't make the hard call and wants to be nice and, and all those kind of things. So as human beings, we struggle with that. And, and, but Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. So when we, when we want to understand about Jesus, we want to understand that he was always truthful. Jesus always told the truth. We live in a world where, where basically uh, political correctness seems to be the emerging God of America. We can't be truthful about things for fear that we're going to offend somebody or that we're going to be hurtful. And we have to say, is it okay if I kind of tell you the truth about something. I just want to put that out there before I tell you. Or, you know, we, we're challenged with that. Uh, the challenge that comes with that, though, is, is we've got to search for what is truth. It can't be your truth. It can't be my truth. But it has to be the truth. And Jesus summed it up when, when basically he said, he said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. So, so Jesus is the source of all truth. So when, when you're the truth, you tell the truth. And the question is, why did Jesus tell the truth? He said it this way. He said, I tell the truth because the truth will set you what? Free. I tell the truth because the truth will set you free. Why did Jesus tell the truth? It wasn't to beat people up. It wasn't to point out their faults and their failures. It wasn't to harass them. It wasn't to get a quick jab in. Jesus told the truth in some very difficult situations so that he could set that person free, so that he could give them the freedom that was needed. It wasn't like, I'm gonna tell you the truth, here it comes, but we all know those people, don't we? We know the people that have it in their mind that they wanna find that one thing that is bad about you or bad about me and they feel like that they have to be the Nathan and come and point that out to us and their sole agenda is not to set us free, not to build us up, but to hurt us or to make us be, feel offended by, by what has happened. Now, if you're uncomfortable telling the truth, if you're the person who wants to say something but you don't and you just stop shy of that, um, if you say, hey, I want to be honest with you, but I really don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to put our friendship in peril. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to do this. I don't do that. I, I don't want to tell you the truth because, well, it's going to cause some friction and some conflict and I'm a people pleaser, so I really don't want to be truthful. If that's you, then you need to remember that telling the truth sets people free. So that should help us to have the courage to know that we can tell the truth. Jesus told the truth, and especially he told the truth when he confronted the religious scholars, when he confronted the religious persons of Judaism in that day. They were two groups of folks that really met that qualifier. And that would have been the Pharisees, uh, who were the teachers of the law and of the Torah and the Sadducees, which were the ones that were kind of the governing body of, of Judaism at the particular time. They were religious leaders who worshiped God. They loved God. They, they had their love for God. But the one thing that they did not do, nor could they do, they could not see Jesus as God. 
They could not see him as Jesus, as God in the flesh. They were religious, but they were hard-hearted. They loved God, but they couldn't recognize God in the flesh as Jesus, who was the Messiah. Now, we learn from Scripture that the people that Jesus had the least amount of patience with were the people who were hard-hearted. They were the people who said that they had it all together. They were the ultra hard-hearted religious people who were more adept of of trying to uphold the law than they were at sharing and administering grace. They loved God, but they just had had trouble with this. So Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the Sadducees. That the blind will see and that those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, what, are are we blind too? And Jesus said, "If, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin because you didn't know any better. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. See, these guys, these guys, um, they, they thought that they were religious, but they were blind. They were so caught up in trying to uphold doing right things that they didn't care about the people who were around them. I mean, we have modern day Pharisees in our churches today, don't we? And, and sadly, these are folks who, who love the wrong things. They, 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 they honor and love tradition more than they love people. They'll uphold and, and picket something and hold that value up at the expense of hurting somebody else. They love, but they just love the wrong things. They love religion more than they love God and, and Jesus. And, and they're harsh toward people um, who don't agree or who aren't uh, a part of what they think is the establishment. Jesus told people the truth and and the way he did that was he cast an image in their mind and he said that this is something I never want you to forget. This is something I need you to see because you will be transformed into something new. And yes, I'm sad to report that Jesus even called people names. He called them snakes. He called them broods of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. Ooh, that was a really bad one. Whitewashed tomb. You're a whitewashed tomb. Oh, Jesus said that. And what he was talking about was he said on the outside, they looked like they had life all together. Everybody admired them. Everybody looked up to them. But he said, inside, you're a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you look great. But on the inside, you are decaying. And you smell like death and, and destruction and, and decaying. Did I say decaying? And they were decaying and they smelled. And, did I say decaying? And, and they were just, they weren't good at all. And he just, he said, that's the kind of person you are. And Jesus had a temper. He's not like the, oh, that we see in the pictures all the time. He took a whip in the temple and he was mad. He was whipping and hitting people and whipping people and, and turning over the money changers because they were belittling God's grace into monetary transactions. And Jesus said, there's no place in a house of worship for this. And Jesus was cleansing that. See, he said, he didn't say, tell the truth so you can point out the fault in others. He said, tell the truth so you can set them free. So even though Jesus was mad at them, even though he was teaching them a hard lesson, he was helping them to change. He wanted them to see the greater thing that God had planned in their life. He brought the truth, but he didn't come into the world to judge it. Jesus was also truth, but he was also grace, okay? So so he gave grace. John writes, out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace, 
already given. I've underlined the words already given. This is an amazing thing. We don't ever ask for grace. We don't even, um, you know, beg God for it. Before we even think about it, before we even know God, God has already given us grace. You see, in the church, sometimes we get confused. We, we confuse mercy and we confuse grace. And we kind of think they're the same thing. They're really not. Mercy is not getting the, the, um, the pain and the, or not getting the uh, um, uh, discipline that you deserve. That's what mercy is. Grace, grace is getting the love of God without even asking for it. So mercy is that there's a penalty that we're owed and, and we really need to get the penalty of that, but it, it doesn't happen. And grace is that because of God's unfathomable love, un- great love, unending love, God showers us with, with his grace. We learn in John chapter eight that uh, Jesus encounters a woman and he encounters her literally in the act of adultery. Now think about that. Adultery, when you think about, you know, adulterous behavior, but these, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. The men catch her. They see her. They drag her in front of Jesus, and they are ready to do what the law told them to do. They were going to stone her to death. The law said that she was to stay in a certain area. They were to take X number of paces back. They were to grab the largest rocks that they could find, and they were to pummel her until she died because she committed a sin. And so this is going on. They drag this woman in front of Jesus and all these men are gathering around. And you can imagine, you know, like this crowd of people kind of coming in with these stones and closing in. And Jesus just, he just kneels down on the ground and he just starts drawing in the sand. Now, you know, I, I've often wondered what in the world was he doing? And I read a book where somebody said, oh, he was just doodling, you know. But what was it? The scripture doesn't tell us what he was doing. It leaves it to our imagination, I mean, some, some scholars say, well, he was writing out the sins of all the men that were there, and then all of a sudden they could see that they were convicted. Others said that he was writing down that he was God, and that put fear into them. Others said that, that he was quoting to them a different kind of law that, that they had broken. It, you know, d- does it really matter? But what we do know is whatever he wrote, they saw it, and they each were looking in there like, oh my gosh, and they would drop their stone, and then psh, they'd go away. And Jesus then stands up and they're gone. And only the woman is there. And he looks at the woman and he said, where are your accusers? The ones that have come to accuse you, they've all gone, haven't they? And she said, yes. And he said, and I'm not here to accuse you either. But what Jesus does, he tells her the truth. He says, here's what I want you to do. Don't be committing adultery anymore. Notice he didn't say, go be perfect. He's basically saying, don't do this. You need to value and treasure your life more. You are more than an, an, than an object for a man to utilize sexually. You're a person. You're created in the image of God. Believe in yourself. And she goes away and the story tells us that she moved forward. You see, here's what you need to know. Je- Jesus, he hits head on the hard-hearted but he comes alongside the brokenhearted and he brings love in that way. There's a passage in, in Matthew chapter 11, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the, the message translation. He died recently, but a uh, wonderful gift that he left us, the message. And, and, and I love what he writes here in Matthew 11. So whether you grew up in the church or whether you're new to faith, listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? I mean, 
Yeah, we can get burned out on religion, can't we? He said, he says, come to me, get away with me, and, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. So he says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Now, I don't remember the term, but, but it's kind of like a teaching technique or a training technique. You watch me do it, we do it together, then you do it. You know, there's a term for that. My education friends are going, yeah, it's this, and I can't hear what they're saying. But anyway, so, so anyway, he says, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. To learn to live freely and lightly with God. I mean, what that says is, is that, that to be a disciple is not a heart full of burden, yeah, being a disciple is going to have its challenges. Being, you know, people will, will not treat us the same when we tell them we're followers of Jesus. Some of us live in families where even our spouses are not believers and they, they just ridicule us because we're connection, connected with God's church. So there's, there is that battle, those battles that happen in families. But, but to give our life to Jesus, to say, I want you to be my Lord, he's saying it's easy to do. And I want you to do it. And I want you to live freely and lightly because when you are in me and I'm in you and when you walk with me and when you, when you see what I do and you duplicate that and you do that, life will be free. Life will be light. So here's a couple of um, real quick examples of what Jesus did. So he's, he's grace, he's truth. So in that, we're gonna take grace and truth and look at some of the things that he did and define how grace and truth speak through those. So here's the first part. Jesus walked in humility. He walked in humility. He was humble. All of us wrestle with humility. Pride resides in almost, in, in every human, I'm gonna say it, resides in every human being. We all have a prideful side. In fact, um, our sinful nature pulls us into our pridefulness. We are not naturally humble. We have to strive to be humble. Our sinful nature pulls us in it. We want to be the center of attention. We want to be noticed. We want people to think we're something. We don't like to be overlooked. All those things, it's pride. And if you're sitting here saying to me right now, uh, Pastor Bob, I'm not prideful, then you're prideful. You're wrestling with it right now. We're all prideful. We all have this desire that lives in us. Jesus lived a life of humility. And Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, gives us um, a great snapshot. And, and Paul says, think about it this way. Think of yourselves the way that Jesus Christ thought of himself. So think about this. He said he had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. So it's saying that, that Jesus knew he was God and he was willing to not hold on to that. How many of us are willing to let go the most powerful thing that there is about us. Jesus is ready to let it go. He said, uh, when the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and he took on the, the status of a slave and he became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then he died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of a death at that. A crucifixion. 
You see, that's, that's what humility does. That humility does that. Jesus, the Son of God, is in heaven. He's reigning, all o- he's reigning over all things. He's reigning over all creation. And he chooses to give up his divine privilege. And he enters into the world in a human form. And it's not just any human. It's a poor individual. It's not a person of wealth. It's not a person of status. It's not a person who is, is highly credible in society. He didn't have money and he died a criminal's death for charges that he was not guilty of. Jesus chose to do this. Why? Because the scripture says he loves us and he loved us enough to do that. He humbled himself. And that's why humility says that if there's a line, I'm going to go to the back of the line and I'm going to let you go to the front. Humility says that, that you go ahead and, 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 um, to the front and I'll take what's left over. You know, humility in, in our relationship says that we value our spouse or our partner or, or, or whoever else is in our relationship, whether it's a sibling, whatever, that we value them more than we value ourselves. That we would rather sacrifice that they could have something. But humility also recognizes that, that we don't have what we have. We haven't accomplished these things on our own. Even the most self-made people had somebody help them get where they were. You and I, we all had someone change our diapers at one time, didn't we? Someone helped us to get ahead, even in that. Do I hear an amen? Amen, Amen. okay. So what does truth say? Truth says that we won't always recognize the grace inside of us, that people won't always see the grace inside, or or the greatness inside of you, that people won't always see the greatness inside of you. Grace says that God always recognizes the greatness in you because God made you that way. Truth says that that you're more prideful than you think you are. Grace says Jesus was perfectly humble in your place. So lean on Jesus. What else did Jesus do? He served others. So he had a servant's heart and, and serving others wasn't uh, meant to be an event that we put on our calendar from time to time. It wasn't a good deed that we do. It wasn't a block that we check. Okay, yeah, I did something nice today. Jesus said that serving is who we are, that we're built that way, that we serve people day in and day out, that we place others before us, that we're willing to empty ourselves to help someone else. And we learn about this in John chapter 13, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now think about it. We have people who wig out coming up and taking communion because they, they, they want to make sure that people's hands are clean. And I get that, and I understand. Can you imagine in the days of Jesus walking through all the dust and sand and, and uh, you know, uh, horse poop and, and, and you know, uh, dirt and, and sheep poop and my grandson helped me write that part of the message. And, and I mean, all the things that you walk through, you know, Jesus, you walk through that stuff and somebody's got to clean your feet. And Jesus, the son of God, did that. He cleaned the feet of his disciples. You know, when you, when you ate, it was interesting because one of the first things you did when you came to dinner, so when, when someone invited you to dinner in their house, and I don't like Da Vinci, uh, his portrait of the Last Supper, because it doesn't do proper justice. He's got it sitting at an upright table like you and I eat. That's not how they ate at all in the ancient world. They, they ate at a table that was shaped in a U, and they reclined. They were on one elbow, and their, their bodies were behind them, which meant that their feet were in the faces of the other people that they were sitting around the table. why they wash their feet? That. I mean, who wants to smell that when you're trying to eat lamb and dates or something, Right? 
And so Jesus humbled himself and he served and he, and he washed the feet of his disciples. And Peter wigs out. Peter's like, what are you doing? And Jesus said, Peter, you, you have to do this. I mean, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And so we, we see the significance of this. See, that job of washing feet was, was given to the lowest slave in the totem pole in the master's house. That really was a rappy job with another word missing, okay? And, and, and that they just, they had to deal with that. It was the worst slave of the least amount. And Jesus did that. So we see also that um, he trained disciples. One day he's walking along the shoreline and he looks and he sees a couple of fishermen and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and women and, and, and I will change your life and you could do something about that. So Jesus looks at them and he says, come with me. He says, watch me. He says, listen to me. He says, learn from me. And when you become like me, you will then be my disciple. And that's the model that he used. He trained people until he rose into heaven. He was training until the very day that he left earth, which tells me that, that, that if you are earning your pension payment or if you're retired right now, there is no retirement plan in disciple making. We are called to make disciples until our breath is gone. Because Jesus is our example. Jesus said, walk with me, watch me, listen to me, learn from me. He discipled. And he made disciples. So let me ask you a question. Who, who are you discipling? Who's the person or persons that you've taken under your wing that you are instructing them daily or within life that you are helping them to grow in their relationship to be a greater disciple? Who are you discipling? Who are you spending time with? Who are you pouring your life into that? Here's the truth. Truth, you will, you will invest time in people who will abandon you. You know, grace tells us that people abandon Jesus. So, so if, our, if our whole deal of I can't disciple someone because uh, I feel like rejection, look, Jesus got rejected all the time. Read the scriptures. People left him all the time. Even the Lord didn't bat 100% in making disciples. So that can't stop us. The truth is you still have room to grow as a disciple. And if you've become stagnant in your faith journey, then you need to know that there's still room to grow. So if you're feeling stagnant, there's room to grow. Here's what grace tells us, that he who began a good work in you will keep going until it comes into completion. That if you don't give up on God, God's not gonna give up on you and that God will do his work. Here's the last one. Jesus glorified the Father. The word glorify means to honor. It means to, to praise. It means to uh, deflect the recognition and praise back to. So instead of receiving the praise himself, it means you deflect the praise to something else. So Jesus, instead of receiving the praise, deflects it back up to the Father, and that's what Jesus did. It's the ultimate reason why he did what he did. It's why he went to the cross. It's why he died, was to give God the glory. On the night in which he was betrayed, we see that he is, he's in the garden and he's praying. And he's praying and what he's saying in that prayer is, is God, you know, whatever's going, whatever's going to happen, I, whatever I do, let me be faithful. I want to glorify you. I give you the honor. I give you the glory. I'm here because it gives you the glory. So let my life be a reflection, God, that when people look at me, Jesus, when they look at my life, let them see your glory and let me live my life in your glory to give you glory in all things. And even after my death, may your glory be shown. And that's kind of what my prayer is for us today. That's the kind of life we live. That we will live our life as a reflection 
of God's glory. Jesus said, when you love others, you love me. The one who loved me is loved by my Father and I will love them and I will show myself to them. Here's the truth. We love God and we obey God. Grace says that God loves us even when we fail to obey him. Truth says that there's no excuse for disobedience and whatever excuse you have, you need to let it go because it's not a good excuse. Grace says you get credit for Jesus' perfect obedience. When you mess up and God looks at your life, God sees an act of creation, of perfection and progress because of the life of Jesus. Folks, this is the kind of church God calls us to be. He calls us to be a, a church of, of, of truth and a church of grace. And I, and I want us to be a church, continue to be a church where we're not hung up on the legalism stuff, we, where we're straining gnats and in, in, in things and sand and that kind of stuff. I want us to be a church that understands truth and we tell truth to set people free because we do it because we love them and we, we have one goal and that's just to get them closer to Jesus. But I also want us to be a church that's full of grace, that we demonstrate that grace because Christ gives us grace and we in turn give it to others. Truth and grace, that's what Jesus did.